Hi everyone, Francisco here. Just before we get started, I wanted to share something I'm really excited about. I recently launched the Story Powers Bootcamp, a course that teaches you everything you need to know about how to find, craft, and tell stories that work. But it's not just an online course, because you get personalized feedback from me for all the practical activities and three hours of live coaching to work through any challenges or focus on specific projects. So it's like if you bought a cookbook, but the chef came along with it. So go to storypowers.com and click on course. All the information you need will be there. So please check it out. And if you love the show and would like to support us, you can go to buymeacoffee.com forward slash storypowers. I drink about five coffees a day, so any support would be much appreciated. All right, on with the show. Welcome to the Story Powers Podcast, the show about the power of stories, the people who tell them, and why you should be doing it too. I'm your host, keynote speaker and storytelling coach, Francisco Mafus. My guest today is Antonia Bed. Antonia studied film production and started her career working in documentaries, reality TV shows, and later feature films. In 2012, she became a creative producer for commercials and branded documentaries. Today, she helps experts and business owners amplify their voice and build a loyal community through storytelling. Antonia is also someone who really wants to write a very long novel and is clearly hiding from it, which is the only sensible explanation for why she writes such gigantic comments on social media. They even have character development and plot twists. Ladies and gentlemen, Antonia Bed. Antonia, hey. welcome to the show. <laughs> Thank you so much. That was amazing. Thanks. <laughs> so as I told you, I, I made the mistake of watching your short film and it really messed up my preparation for this for this episode because we've already had so much to talk about and now, now I, I just added a whole bunch of things to the list. <laughs> so perhaps not my not my smartest move there once I already had uh, a page full of of topics I wanted to address. So so for 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 the people who who, are, who don't know that you you produced this short film and it was called Ben Frankly, which is a pretty amazing t- yeah. title, and it came out <laughs> earlier this year. Um, yeah, we published it on YouTube I think in June. But it's been doing festival rounds for pretty much one and a half, almost two years now. It's difficult to talk about it without spoiling it much because you know it's a short <laughs> film of yeah. eight minutes. But <clears throat> the basic premise is this: is this sort of clueless professor, uh, university professor called Harrison, and he wants to have a movie made about the life of Benjamin Franklin, and then as a favor to him, he's you know, his wife's cousin, who seems to be like a hotshot movie producer, is meeting him and trying to, you know, help him get a story out of this very uninteresting script that he has in front yeah. of him. And I, I just thought that that was such an interesting parallel to, or a, such an interesting way to get into a lot of the conversations I think we're going to have, because Harrison, the professor, knows nothing about story. He clearly exactly. has no idea what a story is, what makes it interesting, whereas Caesar, the, the, the producer, he does. So I, I just want to talk to start talking about you know this idea of you know Harrison to me is sort of the you know the civilians or the common public <laughs> who just has no real idea uh, what a story is and, and and how much you come across people that either you know talk to you about work or or that you come across in, in real life who, who just don't get what a story is. Exactly. They are just very passionate about the topic. And what they also usually have is kind of a nose for a good story. They're kind of like, there's something, and that's what he does in the movie. He goes in there and says, there's something about this character. This character is amazing. And Caesar, the producer, even acknowledges it. He says, yeah, he's an interesting guy, but what's the story? And I came across this story because I laughed about that That thing because I was watching a YouTube video that had that story in it that that little because it's a play and these two act two actors were just reading it on a stage and it was really low quality video and I was watching it and laughing because I was saying like that's the exact same conversation that we're having with our clients 
they have that brilliant idea, they have a new product, they have a great idea they want to communicate, they have, you know, whatever it is. And then they come to us and say, can we turn this into a little video? And my question always is, what's the story? And I think they don't realize, a lot of people don't realize that they are actually not telling a story. They think they're telling a story. Um, and what they're talking about is interesting. The, the content has a lot of, you know, interesting things to it, but because they're not structuring it like a story and they don't have certain elements of a story, it just never works out. And that's what this, happens. To this, is a this is a tricky one, I think. But, uh, you know, I've seen many people try to answer this and I'm not sure I've ever been overly happy with, with most of the responses, but what is a story? A story is an experience. I think a story is an immersive memorable and meaningful experience and what that means is when we're telling a story what we're actually doing is we're getting our listeners our audience's brain to think they're living through something so when we're just giving facts or you know info in a chronological order basically when we're telling a narrative and not a story then what will happen is that our brains are mostly using their speech recognition so they'll go in and they'll they'll take the words and they they'll give meaning to the words. So when you're giving a PowerPoint presentation, people totally get what you're saying. It just doesn't mean anything. It's just info. Mm. So meaning is meaning is important. And with me, what meaning is that's a whole long story. What meaning is, but what what stories do is they always teach us something, and um, they teach us something not on the on the intellectual level, but at an emotional level. And so that's the meaning part. And immersion is really your ability to tell or your ability to write. If you know how to use the right words to evoke emotion in your audience, they'll get immersed. They'll tune out everything else around them. So immersion is kind of the holy grail of storytelling. The, the deeper you can immerse someone in your tale, the better you are. And that's one of the reasons why people are supposed to turn off their phones in the in the cinemas is because people don't want to disrupt other people's immersion when that phone goes off. Our, our common acquaintance, acquaintance JJ Peterson, would probably call that narrative transportation. Exactly. Um, yeah, that's the yeah. that's yeah that's the even more technical word for it, but that's exactly it. Yeah. I find I find I've seen I've come across a lot of descriptions of story that focus on the result of story or the the you know the benefit what do you need to get out of a story for it to count as a story so usually you get things like memorable you need to have learned something there is a lesson there's a point to it uh, I, I sometimes disagree with with that just because you can tell a story to a friend about something that happened to you yesterday without any point to it you're just telling what happened and i would argue that's still a story it's not a story you're going to use in business it's not a story that's going to be be used in any other way than to let someone perhaps to some degree relieve the experience you've had um again you could argue that there's a teaching in there but you know i i also like the type of description of story which i think i've gotten the, the most defined i've gotten it might have been from sean callahan where it was just the most basic element. So he's not saying this makes a good story. He's just saying a story is almost certainly going to have most of these things. It's, you know, time and place. There's people doing things. There is a sequence of events. And there's typically some type of surprise or something unexpected. So I I like those two approaches, but but it's shocking how it's, very difficult to find a well-defined, uh, wildly agreed definition of what a story is. I think the most important thing to remember, though, is all of these things that you mentioned also make a narrative. And, there, and a story is always a narrative, but not all narratives are stories. And okay. the, the main reason that is story needs transformation. That's what actually makes a story. And we, we listen to stories because we want to make sense of our world. That's the reason why we even tell stories to ourselves. We tell stories to ourselves all day, every day, nonstop. Whenever we encounter something we don't know, whenever something changed, because that's what triggers the story. Change triggers the story. When something changes, we start telling a story to explain that change, because change means disruption of 
what we currently experience and disruption to a living being is always a trigger to go, is this dangerous? Do I have to focus on this? Is this important? Because we're bombarded with, with information. Like literally, you, will, you walk on the street and there's so much information and your brain tunes out 99% of it. It just can't focus on all of it. So you're focusing on what you're used to focusing on. Like say when you're crossing the street and then something happens that's not normal to when you're crossing the street and then you're going to focus on that and then you immediately will want to explain what that is in the sense of do I have to look into this and so change triggers it and a story always changes Robert McKee calls it changing values or I call it changing emotional states so what we want as human beings we want to live in something that McKee calls balance We want our life to be a certain way so we can relax and feel safe. And when change happens, then that gets disrupted. And it gets disrupted because one of those values, he calls them, gets upset. So the character, what they do is, for example, they meet something and they fall in love. So now what the character does is they struggle tipping that balance from love to hate and love to hate back and forth and back and forth and back and forth until it settles on one in the end. Hopefully, I think I'm, not sure, I'm not sure you're describing story or marriages. <laughs> just, just, for the, just for the people who don't know, um, Robert McKee is probably the most well-known person that has written about story in the mainstream. So he has a book, which is probably the Bible of most filmmakers, called story uh, and if you it's very difficult to to get into story and find anyone who's any good at story and that hasn't attended Maki's course or at least read the book but but the thing is what he says is actually you go from one state to another and and it can be anything it can be truth and lie it can be love and hate or fear and safety It doesn't really matter where it is, but it has to be something opposing. And to to restore that balance, that character struggles. So whenever you're telling something where that kind of unbalance is missing, you're probably not telling a story. You're giving a narrative. And even if that narrative is in a certain structure, it doesn't necessarily mean it will have the effects that you want to have. That's the thing. I, I get what you're saying. And I find that sometimes the the trouble, and I think that you're no, um, you're very familiar with this problem I'm about to discuss, which is the you know what we call things, what the names we use to call things by, because you know you get. I've seen people be super, you know, adamant about this. This is not a story. This is an anecdote, or this is not a story. This is a narrative. And I, when I talk to people, I just. I try simplifying things a bit and saying, listen, there are good stories and there are bad stories. You know, there's boring stories and there's and there's amazing stories. If you want to say, if there is no change, then it's not a story, it's this other thing. Uh, I'm, I'm not sure that if you're talking to the public, you know, you know, anyone who's not overly passionate about these things or overly interested and maybe academically interested, I'm not too sure that those distinctions a distinction other than good or bad is actually terribly useful to 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 most people. I've typically found that the more you try to name thing, a very specific thing, or like this is the type of story and this story has these elements, it's very easy to just find that actually that doesn't really work with this other scenario I had. And if I only have this maybe three types of stories, now I've just screwed myself because well, it doesn't fit with any of the three that I needed. So so now I'm in a pickle because I have to go back on my word about what the three types of stories were. So I find that the more I develop my own approach to teaching people and to, and to uh, having them use this, it, frameworks are very useful for teaching, but it can they can be very constraining as well. Yeah. Um, and yeah. I have a quote from your website that I quite like. Uh, and, and and I think it's interesting because it supports the framework idea, but also, you know, I know, I, I know some of your opinions on that, so we can get into it. So it was, uh, filmmaking taught me that, uh, filmmaking taught me that storytelling is magic that works like math. 
Yeah. Is that a your quote or someone That's else's? That's what I came up with. That's usually what I um, found myself telling my workshop participants when they okay. when they say because I used to give uh, workshops to business people that were based on screenplay writing. That was kind of the very first time people got in touch with storytelling, and I guess by that point we didn't have frameworks like you know the one from anecdote or or story brand or Bernadette Jiva and all those wonderful people who broke it down for us we only had the only framework we knew how to teach was screenwriting and so whenever I started talking about that process everyone's like whoa that's like magic it's like no it's actually not it's it's because and that's the thing with with screenplays is they are very very rigid you can plan, you have to plan every single scene. You have to know why it's there, you have to know when it's there, and you have to know what happens before you even start writing. And that's that's great to learn how all this stuff works because you can look into it. You know, it's like ripping open an engine in a car and looking into it and taking it apart and looking, okay, why do we need all this? Frameworks are amazing, especially if you have never had anything to do with this idea. And storytelling, storytelling is like learning a foreign language. So when you're starting with it, it's a really great place to do that first because you have the experience of using something that's quite simple, not not always, but it's quite simple to learn and then immediately put into action. So you immediately have that sense of, oh, what I'm doing is working, or you can go in and tweak at certain points where you feel like you're off and you can train yourself and your brain and others to use those structures and ideas. And that's brilliant. Um, what happens a lot with my clients is that they come to me. Actually, this happened last night. Someone texted me in my direct messages on LinkedIn and said, Tony, I'm stuck. I've read all those books and I've done the workshop. And now I kind of, I get it and I'm doing it, but I can't take it further. Like, I don't know. And the reason, I think the reason why that happens is because a framework is like learning how to make pizza. And, you know, you can make a very simple pizza, but you can make also a really, really amazing gourmet pizza. So there is, you know, there is room for development, but they're not teaching you how to cook on purpose because they want you to get into it and then kind of learn the craft and then slowly. So once you kind of know, either you, you kind of looked at it and went, okay, that's not all of it, or you're doing it and then realizing, okay, I'm hitting boundaries here. That's when all that other stuff comes into play. That's when the magic comes into play. That's when you start asking, why is it working the way it is? What I've tended to find, and, and, and I mentioned this to you when I had a conversation the other day, that uh, I've just gone through a very interesting experience where I was teaching at an MBA and they have a communications course, which is essentially a speaking course. Yeah. And the students have to do something like, I don't know, 18, uh, 16 speeches, like three-minute speeches or stories in the course of about two weeks. And then they get feedback from everybody. And, and this magical thing happen which is the you know the first one is more like a logos like a logical type of speech and then the next one is a credibility which involves a bit of a personal experience and then the third mod module is storytelling and the fourth one is pathos which are are set up to be like stories but not the super dramatic ones and then get us something slightly more dramatic and you saw these people who i mean couldn't they just struggled to emote that, you know, they were very flat. There was all these things that they were really finding difficult to do with the first two types. And then as soon as they're telling a story, they come alive and the structure issues they were having are fixed. And the emotion that they were trying to convey before just comes naturally to them. And then what I found was that the structure is something that, like, I think if you just ask them, Tell me something that happened to you, um, you know, something you learned, some mistake you made. Everybody kind of gets that the structure is life was normal or life was one way. Something happened and now life is a bit different, or at least I'm a bit different. That's it. That's the only structure you need to know if you're not writing screenplays. Uh, so, so what I ended up finding that that you know the, the elements i tend to think that are essential for a good story some of them are very easy you know 
Is it relatable? And most of them were because they were telling personal stories. Is is there emotion in it? Do people, do the characters care about what's happening? That sometimes happened, sometimes didn't. Sometimes there were no real stakes in the story, so it, it was difficult to care a great deal. But the one I found that made a massive difference was, is it specific? Now, are you giving me one or two details that make this feel grounded in reality? And more important than anything else, is there a moment? Are you telling me what happened, how it happened, who said what, how they felt or you felt? when they Or are you just describing like, oh, yes, I had problems with my boss and blah, blah. And anyone that could tell the moment told an amazing story. Everyone that didn't tell the moment, it was like, eh. That to me seemed more of the focus going forward with all of those students is, I would just ask them, is there a moment there? And they would go, nope, there wasn't any moment there. And that was it. There was no moment. You can tell a story, but it's not a very good one. Yeah, I love that you say that because that moment does two things. First of all, you have to, like you said, you have to describe it. You have to be quite detailed. And the crazy thing with storytelling is the more detailed you are, the more timeless and sort of independent in space and time your story becomes. Universal. Universal. More specific, the more universal it becomes, which is very contradictory. Exactly. But that's amazing because you will be able to tell that story in 10 years, in 15 years, and it'll still work. Because it's not a narrative, it's a story. Because once you start with the moment, what you're introducing is change. You're describing the moment of change when something happened. So you're, you're triggering this, okay, now we have to restore that balance, you know, that, that, that peace of mind, that peace of whatever it is that we so crave as human beings. So we'll listen. And, as, when it's, and that's the thing with personal stories, and that's why I mostly teach personal storytelling, is personal stories are incredibly universal because the human condition doesn't change you know whatever we go through in our lives it's very likely that people in 10 years or 100 years ago or 100 years from now they'll probably kind of experience the same thing human emotions don't change so that's why it works and that's something that i was i was thinking about when i when i watch your film there are certain things that it just kept jumping out at me that although Caesar is the guy who knows story, as the as the film progresses, it becomes sort of obvious to me that he knows story as stories understood by the movies. Because, you know, for example, he, he has a problem with how Benjamin Franklin looks because he doesn't look heroic. Or, uh, you know, he has this great line, he says, you know, reality needs to be condensed, which again, something I, I do tell, I tell my students, other people I work with, I say, listen, I said to this one guy, it's like he had a great story, and but it had like him and two friends, and he only really needed one friend. Like the other friend didn't add a great deal to the story, had like one as like just say the line yourself, and then it's you and one friend. We have one Greek name to remember, and then you know it just flows better. And, and, you know, as long as you're not changing what the lesson is and you're not saying something that you'd be embarrassed for the people involved to listen and say, listen, I just took out him because he wasn't really ha- part of the conversation. So I'm going to describe the scene with him in there. It just confuses people. Um, but but the other thing about Caesar, uh, the producer, and what I kept thinking is he he wants to make the story bigger and he wants to make the story more fantastic because he needs some type of hook. And then, you know, Harrison, the professor, goes probably too far with the hook he comes up with. Yeah. But the, the, the incredible thing I find over and over and over again is that's for the cinema. Maybe for books, but I don't think it is for books. Definitely it's not for TV shows, because there's plenty of TV shows that are a massive slow burn about almost nothing in particular. A story that takes you into the moment is amazing by itself, even if the thing it's describing is one of the simplest things in the world. I had this student where she she described she's babysitting, and I think it's her friend's kid or her sister's kid. And he says, you know, the, and she just made some dumplings, and the kid wants to eat the dumplings, and the dumplings are too hot, and she doesn't want the kid to get burned because I don't want to get a mouthful from his mom. Um, 
and uh, about how poor a babysitter she is. And then she describes like, but the kid needs to learn by himself. And then she, the kid starts trying to get at them. And we were all sort of enthralled of this most basic, simple story. In the cinema, that probably wouldn't work a great deal. But in real life, we are fascinated by real life. So it doesn't need to be extraordinary. And that's, I think, one of the biggest issues with the whole, you know, the hero's journey and talking about heroes is you ask someone, you know, to tell you a story and they start going, I've never done anything. I've never climbed Everest. I've never, you know, faced certain death. I was like, that's not (laughs) what you need to be talking about. Yeah, I totally agree. The thing is, I think that Dumpling Story would make a great movie. What Caesar is trying to do is he's trying to create something in filmmaking, we call it high concept. It's a film that is crazy loud and crazy and, and interesting and there's happening a lot. And it's easy to make, it's che- quite cheap to make, and it sells really well. That's what high concept is. You know, all those, your Independence Day and your all your Marvel films, people watch them once and then they walk away from it and forget about it. But what he does when he says, the, the reality needs to be condensed. So we have to focus on this character. Who is he? Because he also, he walks across the room and he says, he's a loner. And Harrison goes, yeah, I guess he might be. And then, so they're kind of trying to figure out who this Benjamin Franklin is. And what they're really actually doing is they're developing character. And in that dumpling story, I'm pretty sure your student developed an amazing character. Because at the end of the day, Storytelling isn't really about what happens. Storytelling is about the characters who do things so things happen. Because we identify with a character. We get emotionally immersed in this thing because we latch on to that character and we want them to succeed. So one of the most important skills to have is to develop character. And that sounds complicated. But what it actually comes back to is giving detail. If your audience, one or two details that show me why I should care about that person. Why should I care about you? There's this thing that people don't get necessarily. It's it's how easy it is to, to make a character relatable uh, and, and how easy it is to make a char- character understood. So all, all we, and I've, I've said this before when I describe what relatable means is the character or the situation needs to be relatable. So so people don't get how how easy it is to make a character relatable. And and you know if you're watching a movie like you know Apollo 13, now maybe you can't relate to being an astronaut, but you know I can't remember exactly what the characters conflicts were but you know if you have a challenge if if you have a bad relationship with your father i mean that's relatable if you're trying to accomplish something that's been your dream all along that's relatable and and sometimes all you need is a couple of lines i think in your in your film there is this little exchange between them where they say ah so you're you know my wife's cousin or you know the cousin of whoever and you can you get what the relationship between the characters is and then he says oh you know you are a professor and the guy says oh not for long if this works out and then you immediately get okay this is a guy who is perhaps a bit frustrated with his life he wants something different and the other guy is kind of just doing him a favor and, and you don't need much and, and i've said to people before where all you need is you know just just tell us one or two things that if we understand the universe you're trying to describe we're going to go yes i know that so if you're talking about you know storytelling and you say you know when you're talking to to a client and they tell you uh well i haven't got any stories every single person has ever tried to teach anyone storytelling has heard that and then yeah. if if i if i don't say that or something like that you might go, I'm not too sure this guy has actually been teaching people because I haven't heard any of the things my students normally say coming from him. Um, you know, we've used the example of social media. If you like someone who posts on whatever and you want your post to do well, you post and then you check them out a few minutes later, nothing. And then half an hour later, it's like, oh, maybe there's a problem here. No one has liked my stuff. And, and that makes it relatable. So it doesn't take a massive amount for people to kind of go, yeah, I get this character. I, I know what they're struggling with. Uh, but but the, the, the other big thing that came out of, of this MBA experience is how easy people find 
to make their stories impersonal. So so they would just they would describe situations from a distance and, and they would just never tell you exactly what happened and they would use language that, as I told them, human beings don't use. So there's this <laughs> this girl who was describing this very interesting situation and she said, I was performing a leadership role when I was in school and then this you know this thing happened where I neglected my duties as a leader and then I I, I stopped you know being the leader of that project and then in the feedback we said um what does that mean like what was the leadership role were you a class president or something and I think she said no I was running the dance team okay and and what happened what how did what did you neglect and she's like oh you know we we went we practiced outside of school. We had a rehearsal outside of the school and I was meant to do a head count and we, I didn't. And then one of the kids was left behind. I mean, we, we realized very soon, but, you know, it was kind of, she was very upset. And I'm like, why didn't you tell us that? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. And honestly, I don't really know why that is. I obviously encounter that a lot, um, especially because I... Literally, my always my first thing that I, I tell people is I know most storytelling teachers tell you your story doesn't matter. You're here with me now. And the most important thing about what you're doing with me is your story. So we're going to talk about you. And then they get a little bit freaked out. And it's like, um, um, but my life has been so boring. And I don't and they know always, They always about. have this voice when they say that. It's quite <laughs> a good. <laughs> I do that same way. It's like, and, and then I'm, and, and it's really, sometimes it takes me a few days to, to, to get them to the point where they're like, oh my God, I have more stuff to talk about than I can ever talk about. And, and we all do. We have amazing lives. We have so many things as human beings that happen to us that we can share that others will want to hear. You know, we're just sharing, again, we're sharing experience. We're sharing what we've been through. and. Obviously, the more detailed that is, the more we as the listener can go, oh, I can imagine. And that's the thing, imagination. You want to trigger imagination. When you bring a character in who is relatable, then you can ask people to imagine pretty much anything. I mean, we're watching Star Trek and we believe what they show us. That's because we're establishing characters that we can recognize and a, a few other elements of storytelling that are important in that context and then people go to it they walk into it and they take it at face value because at the end of the day it's not really relevant how you know how much we know the space the story happens in or even the things that the characters are doing because we're interested in the character there's a lot there's a lot in there to 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 unpack or follow <laughs> through let, let me tell you what i why i think that this sort of weird impersonal you know supposedly corporate or professional language comes in it's a misunderstanding well, well one is years and years of bad communication so you've been exposed to bad communication in professional environments where most people are terrible communicators every presentation you watch is impersonal it's powerpoint it's boring and then you just don't realize like i, I think if you have had a leader or a colleague in your per professional life that was a storyteller you very quickly realize that actually that that works a lot better than all this boring stuff we're doing but most people haven't so there is this idea that it's unprofessional to talk about your personal experiences. And I, I was trying to, to, to share this with them or to just impress on them that um, you don't need to tell me about your personal life. I mean, you can still tell me about the projects you were involved with, but I want you to be the... I think the expression I said is, you know, imagine this is a trip, right? I don't want you to be the brochure, I want you to be the guide. So tell me, this is where I was. This is what I experienced. This is what I saw. This is what I found. You don't sort of just tell me this impersonal thing that anyone could say as the project. You were there. Then tell me what happened when you were there. And again, you might be sharing almost the exact same content, but it's just way more interesting if you put yourself in it. And then what I told them is, you know, th this is a conversation no one has ever had. Antonia, you should go to this restaurant. It's amazing. Has great reviews. The chef is well known for whatever. Uh, but um, have you 
been to it, Francisco. Oh yeah, I went last week, it was amazing. Why don't you tell me that to begin with? Right? And there's a reason Amazon and TripAdvisor have reviews. Because we don't want just a description of how amazing things are. We want a real person telling us about that. Uh, so so I, I think that there's a lot of people who consciously actually say, why well, I didn't think it was appropriate to talk about things in a more personal way at work. Uh, not even about personal experience, but just a personal way. And And some people just, I think absorb that from all they've seen in business. And, and it is hard to get people out of that mode. Uh, it, it, it is a big challenge. Yeah. And and also usually what happens is when you start talking, it doesn't even have to be you yourself, but you're maybe describing a different character who isn't you, but you're using them to tell your story. What you immediately usually have to do is give detail on emotion. How did it feel to be in that situation? Especially if it's a situation situation alien to your audience, because you're giving them context by saying that that thing that I'm now looking at was scary, for example. So then I I as the audience go, okay, so that's scary, and you're that person. So then we draw connections, and we're okay, right? Then you know, character, you go, you face this fear and this danger, and I'll with you. I'll I'll live with it. You know, I live through it with you. So we have to give detail on 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 an emotion, and honestly, that's something that we are beating out of children even at school. I mean, we we literally tell kids stay with the facts, do your report, write your paper, don't 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 go into basically don't go into detail that we can't verify. Education is a is a field that could take us very far away from what yeah. <laughs> we, we probably want to focus, but but it is true as well that there are a lot of different there are different movements now in education that are, I think, fighting that to some extent. I, I was very happy that a few weeks ago I managed to to get my kid in a school. I mean, she wasn't a Montessori school, so that's already a lot better than, than the, your average traditional education. But she's gotten into a school now where they don't have subjects, that everything is project-based, and they have what they call, I forgot what they call it now, but what happens is a student studies, uh, does a project, and the project lasts a month or two, and that project has def- several different threads that can be followed after. So I really liked this. So if there's a filmmaking class, for example, project, I really liked the technical side of it. Okay, well, then this is the two classes you can take, projects you can take after this one. I really like the, the you know, studying the characters or whatever. Okay, well, then we can push, we, we can go this way. And then they're, they're learning to follow their interest a lot more than just this is what you have to do. And this is the other thing you have to do and you have no no flexibility to go in any different direction. Um, But back to storytelling, uh, again, messaging is a challenge. I I think being very clear about your your messages is something most people struggle with, but it's remarkable how, how powerful that is for storytelling. Because if you realize that your message is about being scared or about making the wrong decision, you have now just opened the door to a million stories you certainly have that will meet that same goal. And I don't know if this particular client of mine is actually going to end up doing this, but we are, um, he, he works in finance, right? So we're trying to find a way for him to overcome certain client objections about uh, the, what he's trying to impress on clients is how people sometimes think they're making the right decision, but they're not. And then I was just really struggling to find something with him. We were trying and we were just, nothing was coming out. And then I said, tell me how you met your wife. And then he gave me some impersonal stories. Like, no, no, no. The actual day, what actually happened? And it was this great story about like, he's at a nightclub and he's the designated driver. So he's bored and this girl sits on the table he's at with his friends. And he says, oh, I saw this girl and I just thought, thought she was the right one for me. And then, you know, I tried talking to her and I got absolutely nowhere. And then I looked at her friend and thought, maybe she's right for me. <laughs> he spoke to three or four girls in the same group. And the last one he spoke to was the one he actually hit it off with and ended up becoming his girlfriend and ended up becoming his wife. And I said, so you were lucky enough to make clearly the wrong decision three times. And then the fourth one was the one that that actually worked and turned out to be a woman you're with now for years and years and years. And he said, 
uh, and you know, and and maybe you were just lucky. And he's like, oh, you have no idea how lucky because she was going to give me the wrong number, the wrong phone number. But there is something that they use in South Africa called True Caller that tells you if the number is wrong straight away. And he told her, oh, you know, he saw her like make a mistake on the number and said, oh, don't worry about it. I have True Caller on my phone. It will pick up if you make a mistake. She deleted everything she was typing and actually typed a different number, which turned out to be wrong. And I said, you know, if it weren't for all these things, you would have completely made the wrong decision. And then he said, yes. And I was like, isn't that what your clients do all the time? So you just have to, you know, tell them how you match your wife and tell them that there is no true caller for financial planning. And it's like, I can do that? It was like, well, you know, you probably need to have a decent enough relationship with your client that they're not going to think you're a complete weirdo for sharing this type of story the first time you meet them. But, you know, I would tell that story because it, it can work perfectly in that scenario. Um, and, and people just struggle to make that connection. You want to talk about making the wrong decision? Think of a time when you made the wrong decision. It's irrelevant if it's the exact same context. But I mean, messaging was probably the second hardest thing people, uh, second biggest difficulty people had when it came to finding stories to tell, or particularly if they were trying to do something in particular. Yeah, and I think the the biggest issue with that is that, especially in business, we go about storytelling thinking, okay, I have this and this and this situation. And I'm not getting anywhere with that situation. So now I'm going to learn how to tell a story to resolve my problem. And then they walk into that situation, sometimes even prepared to tell a certain story and kind of sometimes succeed and sometimes it doesn't work because it's awkward. So what I always tell people, you cannot not tell stories. So you better become good at it and then tell them all the time. Because what you just described, that story, I wouldn't use that to sell something. I would use it to brand that person because a lot of the times what we see especially now on social media when people start going into the subject and learning about storytelling is they're usually being told that okay the, the what you need you, you can use it to clarify your message and transport what you're saying a lot better which is true but it's only a tiny part of what storytelling can actually do because if you learn how to cook instead of just making pizza then you can go and and build something, build up yourself as a three-dimensional character, if you will, in the online world with your brand, your personal brand, or when you're a business, it works too, a bigger one, that has kind of more receptors, if you want, that people can latch onto because you're giving them more than what we usually give when we communicate online. And so I would encourage that person to say, okay, break this story down and then tell it, even when you're just trying to generate leads, sprinkle it in there, like mm. seasoning every now and then. <clears throat> so when yeah, you I... then get in touch with that person that wants to talk to you, they kind of already have heard it before. Yeah, I think we... We were trying to, because, I mean, in his particular case, I think it's a very, it's not a very specific, it's a salesperson and just the product is, is financial. But we were just trying to find some way to tell a story that highlighted that particular thing. And what I said to him is, listen, you, I mean, if you generally feel comfortable telling the story and you can tell it well, there's many different ways you can use it. You can save it for when you're getting objections. You can build that into your pitch. So you're, you're describing that this is what you do and this is the mistakes you help people avoid. Uh, again, th these things are, um, they're multi-purpose. Some, I guess some stories will be very specific to one very specific scenario. But if it's a story about you or a story about the things you help people with, there's endless different ways you can you can use them, which is gets us to perhaps the confusion of is this a founder type story, like an origin type story? Is this a, a value or help type story? And and that's when I think the having them some type of category can get somewhat confusing because you know you you know is this an objection handling story? Is that you know it, it could be any of those three, or you know if you want to have a category at all. I'm to be honest, I find these categories very weird. I most of the time I wouldn't know how to use them. What we usually do in marketing, because um, that's what we've been doing for the past decades, is we communicate to be heard and then to be listened to. So, you know, first we have to go out there and be kind of loud enough, and then we expect people to come and listen. 
But I think what we actually have to learn how to do is work to be heard. And then the goal doesn't have to be to get people to listen, to, but to connect, to go that little bit further. And connection doesn't happen just because people listen to you. Connection happens because you're giving something and they give you something and then you have a relationship and then you can have a conversation. So it's not about, you know, categorizing storytelling in different buckets and then or 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 using different frameworks and everyone going, okay, my framework is the best because at the end of the day, we're all just telling stories and stories don't change because the framework changes or the bucket you're throwing it in changes. I think what we have to tell people is you are already telling stories. Your brain cannot not tell stories. So what you have to learn is, first of all, confidence. Have confidence in yourself that you can do this just naturally. And the second thing is also kind of give people the courage to go out there and be creative and show themselves because that's a lot. You know, when you're walking into a boardroom and you're going to tell a personal story about yourself leading into a pitch or some sort of explanation, that is hard, especially if you've never done that before. So I think a lot of people already have kind of a sense of what works. They feel it sort of in their gut. And so I think our job as the people who kind of know how it works is to give them a structure, and that could be a framework, and say, okay, so to take your thoughts and, and put them on paper, this is how you do it. But the other half of it is also telling them, okay, just walk out there and don't overthink it. Use those details. Go in there and describe what it's like to be a soccer mom at the edge of the field and, and looking at your kids, you know, losing that game. Give us those details because we will care. Even if we don't have kids ourselves, we will care. I find that the the challenge with trying to do things without the without the frameworks or without the set structures, without the specific types of stories, is that what sometimes comes maybe easy to us, but not to to a lot of people, is what I consider to be a fairly simple idea, which is, you know, begin with the end in mind. What are you trying what would do you want your audience to to think, to feel to, to know about you, to be convinced of. So, so that, that's something you need to know if you're going to use stories in any type of like business context or professional context. And if you know that you want them to, you know, for the example I've given, if you want them to realize that we make bad choices and we don't always have a chance to correct them, you need a story about someone making bad choices and either not having the chance to correct them or by sheer luck, having the chance to correct them. So in a sense, as you know, you're talking about a lesson learned, find a story about when the lesson was learned or when it wasn't learned. To, to me, is is not that complicated a thing, but a, a, lot of, a lot of people, it is. So I think things like, for example, the founder story, particularly if you're an entrepreneur or someone like that, that's one that makes kind of sense to most people. It says, yeah, you want these people to know you're resilient, you're resourceful, you're really passionate about the stuff. Well, then tell them something that shows that, you know, show them that, you know, don't tell them that, show them that. And, and I mean, that's I, what I do for a living. I help people tell their founder stories and then turn that into a brand, into a content strategy that doesn't only cover their founder stories, but a million other things. But that's what I start with. I start with their story because that's what makes people unique in a busy market. No one can take away you when you're branding yourself. And, and what I always, pretty much always encounter is this resistance to go into that emotional realm. People, even if they take, you know, basic story structure, the disruption of the normal and the struggle and the moment they learned something and where they turned around and did things differently, even then they tend to fall into kind of a narrative-like thing where they give one detail after another. And the second thing that usually happens is when I say you have to be more detailed, they'll give me more detail of what happened. Because I think we inherently think, think that no one cares about us. 
that no one deems us important enough to be listened to. And the opposite is true because we we need connection and, and we connect with emotion. We don't connect with facts especially if they're completely out of our own reality and we can't even recognize them. What we always recognize is someone struggling with that reality. And it doesn't matter how, how familiar it is to us. It's just, the struggle is familiar always. Yeah, and I, and I think that's the crux of it because a lot of people in marketing love to, saying no one cares about your story, which is true, but it's misleading. No one cares about your story. They care about your story as it relates to them. So if your story, if you as a character have nothing to do with me, like I cannot find anything that we have in common, then I generally don't care. But if I find, like we're selfish, if I see things in you that are relevant to me, then I will care about your story. And, and again, we, we, it's, it's easy, but it makes complete sense to talk about how story evolved. And I've seen this great description, but I think sort of Annette, Simmons, um, the, the story factor, yes. And she says, you know, as you said, there's so much information and the brain has to choose what to, to, to remember. So how did the brain do that? Okay, so you want something that will teach you something. So there's a sequence of events. If this happens, then that happens. You want something that is change because change can be danger uh, or can be disruption. And how do you tell from all the things that have those characteristics, which ones are important? The ones that have an emotional stamp on it. You know, this happened that caused this change and there is a strong emotion attached to it. When those conditions are met, this is a story and your brain will record it. And this is where people get it wrong. They're telling something that's perhaps relatable. They're giving you enough details, but they haven't made it clear what the emotion is. And if you haven't made it clear what the emotion is, why the character cares and why, then I don't know why I should care. And what I've found that helps that to some degree is, you know, just the most basics, just use I feel or I felt language. You know, and I felt so frustrated. That's it. You've now solved that problem to a great extent and, and not like it was a very frustrating thing. Just tell me I felt frustrated. Again, you can, you can make it work the other way, but then people don't actually say that they say other things i i've been using i've used a quote that i've got from you uh with the mba students that seem i actually should have remembered and used it earlier but when i started using it i thought that it made some sense because i had i had described to them that my super condensed version of the of the hero's journey is that the better stories or the, the, the most powerful stories are the path from pain to power and if you have no pain, the story is not particularly interesting. You know, you're just like, oh, someone who's normal and now is better. No, no one cares, right? So where is the pain? And then with, with some, I mentioned uh, a line, I don't know if it's yours, but I, I saw it from you, which is that great stories end twice when the hero gets defeated and when the villain gets defeated. And then I said, you know, have has your hero gotten defeated in the story? Someone talking about running a marathon. And I was like, no, she was a bit concerned about getting defeated, but she didn't actually get. It's like, well, then, then you need to dig a bit deeper. You don't need to invent something, but your concern needs to be a lot bigger for me to feel that there's something to win or lose. Because if I don't, then it's not a particularly good story. We just don't care because we, again, we're looking to survive and thrive. <laughs> I mean, Donald to, Miller. To quote, to quote the Miller. The Miller all the time and he yeah. is so right about that mm. because when we when you walk into a story and you're starting to tell it the first question i always ask my, my clients is when they're trying to construct one is who is the core character what is their superpower and with that superpower i mean the thing that they're doing that i know as a storyteller is going to win the day and the second question is what is their flaw what are they getting wrong because if the character doesn't have a flaw, you won't have a story because that flaw is going to bring him to his knees at some point. In movies, if you want to check that, it's usually the 75% mark. Mm. If you scroll into it, go on Netflix, says it works with every single movie. And the reason why that is, is because when we're watching or listening to the story, we need to see that because that moment when they realize I'm defeated, 
I did this, I got this wrong. I have to do it a different way. That's why we're actually consuming stories. We're looking for transformation. We're looking for a lesson to learn. And that's where the character learns the lesson. And because we are now so connected to that character, we are learning that lesson too. And if you don't have that moment, you don't get a training montage. You know, you need a training montage with the with the nineteen eighties music where they where they become better by, you know, pulling sleds in the snow or some nonsense like that. If without without that, then then the, the final battle has no real has no real excitement. But yeah, and, and it's that that's one of those things where although I find that the language of you know heroes and things of that nature can pe- put people off and give people the wrong impression of what a story is about that particular idea of the hero being defeated before they win the day if people can internalize what that actually means is you need stakes if you don't have stakes then it's just not a very interesting story and and then it's it's unlikely to do what you're perhaps telling that story for that's you know you we need to that you need that turning point otherwise there has been no change there's been no transformation again it's it's just a shame that it's it's fallen so much out of your our usual communication style that people absolutely know that that happens in the movies if they they're watching to half an eye open but but no one can relate to that when they are uh, sharing a story about a project they had that almost went completely off the rails. They they don't make that connection. And and I think it's just because what used to be the way we communicated important things has become more of an entertainment tool than almost anything else. It's definitely not the way people consciously communicate important things in their life. They will do it unconsciously. Uh, and when they're really excited, they'll tell stories. But you tell, you use the word story and they go, what? No, I'm not telling stories. I'm just telling them what happened. I think what it again comes back to is vulnerability. Because when we're honest, we're really honest. The best characters in fiction, in nonfiction, in business are people we do not want to be. Because let's be honest, if you have a movie that is 120 minutes, for 75% of that movie, that character doesn't know what they're doing. Or is getting their ass kicked. And they're they're getting their ass kicked. Yeah, because they got it wrong. And and literally, storytellers call it the lie and the truth. They're believing. They they literally have a wrong belief system that tells them your problem is going to be fixed be fixed this way and so they're struggling and struggling and struggling and struggling and we as the audience especially in movies half the time we know that what they're doing won't work because we can see through it we know there's a different way but we have to see them struggle we have to see them go through it and and really try and 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 lose everything and then we get to this point where they have this epiphany and go, okay, I have to let go of that wrong belief. And I have to adopt that new, call it truth, call it idea, whatever it is. And the minute they do, things get better and they win the day. They usually do. And in, in stories and movies where they don't, the story always ends badly. We have to go through that transformation. And if you're if you look at your own life, that's how life works. It, the trouble is just with life. Life doesn't happen in 120 minutes. And we know, okay, in 45 minutes, it's going to be over because the truth is going to come to me. That's not how it works. Sometimes we have to struggle for years, but we usually come to a point where we're like, okay, I'm going to have to let go of and try a different way. And usually those moments, that's 50 years later when you sit down with your grandkids, those are the stories that are, again, memorable and meaningful. You're going to tell those stories where you learn something, where, you're, where, you, where you as a character in your own story, where you changed. And that's and, why storytelling is powerful. And on that note, I think uh, <laughs> we've gone way past the time that we originally planned for this, which is absolutely no surprise given every single conversation we ever had. But uh, but um, we got most of the things I wanted in there. <laughs> I still had a third of my notes to, to go through, uh, but I think we might we might just want to save them for, for another time. Uh, Antonia, thank you very much for your time. This has been great fun. Thank you. Yeah, I loved it. Thank you. All right, everyone. Thanks for tuning in. Take care of yourselves and until next time.
I hope you enjoyed the show. And if you did, I'd love for you to subscribe and leave us a review or a rating on the Apple Podcasts app. It's very easy. You open the app and find this show. Then scroll down a little, and when you see the stars, tap. I'd really appreciate it, and it does help other people find us. And if you'd like to get in touch or find out more about what I do, reach out to me on LinkedIn or visit my website, storypowers.com.